out. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. We're going to kind of be jumping around a little bit tonight, but we've got the scriptures, most of them on the screen uh, for you. So if uh, you don't want to jump around, you can follow along with us up here. Uh, how's everybody doing? Everybody doing okay? Doing good? Glad you're here. Um, excited about the kingdom of God study and what God's uh, has already done in the earth that I'm coming to just find out and um, a lot of this stuff just scratching the surface on and uh, I found out that this tunnel goes pretty deep and I don't know that there's a bottom in it um, so keep going deep with God keep getting roots down in his word I, it, it just never ends the revelation that's in it's in God's word um, there is uh, if I handed you a card and a little index card, and I said, write on that index card a word or a phrase or uh, a few words describing, and you could only, uh, describing Jesus and his ministry, and I handed that card out, what do you think that card would say? What do you think the majority of the cards would say? No, 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 no. If you were, if I was to hand you a card and say, describe Jesus' ministry in a word or a phrase, what do you think? Everybody wake up with me. Come on now. Come on now. I know it's dreary. I know we had a long day at work. We all did. Tune in with me. Well, probably. Index card. One phrase. Word, sentence. What? Love. Every man should be saved. Mercy. Love. Okay. All right. Redemption. Okay. That's generally the answers that you get. Bruce, what do you got, Victor? Savior for Savior. Okay, yeah. Those are all good things. Those are all good things. <laughs> and love is great. Forgiveness is great. I mean, everything that everybody said are, are elements and... If we boiled it down, it would probably equal love. But the message that Jesus went around preaching was the kingdom of God. But nobody ever says that, do they? We miss it. And that's why we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, so that we get an understanding of what the heart of Jesus' message is. Now, <laughs> yeah, right? Hello? Love? <laughs> you guys. Woo! Pray for them. Help them, Lord. But this is, this is what happens is we miss the forest for the trees because generally when we read the Bible, we read it with Pauline eyes. I've heard people answer this question this way, Tom. Justification by faith was Jesus' message. That's a Paul answer, right? That's a Romans answer. So we generally read the Bible, we read the Gospels with Paul's eyes. Or we read the gospel with eyes that we've been given and we miss out on the message that Jesus is actually teaching in the gospels and what the heart of Jesus' message is. So we take Romans, right, and we cut it up and we make the Roman road, right? So we take the scriptures we like that lead us in this nice clean path to personal salvation and then that becomes the eyes in which we read everything with. So we are led to some kind of personal savior and personal salvation. 
but do we know Jesus as a king and Lord? And this could be where we're missing it is because we're looking for a Savior, which is great and good, but have we bowed the knee to the lordship of Jesus? Probably not because we didn't know there was a kingdom because we could only see personal salvation through Paul's message in Romans, which isn't even really Paul's message. We've just cut it up and tried to make an easy track to God to save time where we could easily uh, witness to someone. Now, this is a slippery slope we're going down here, but, but we're going to go down it. Do you know that Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he only mentions love two times. Love your enemy. Love your neighbor. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Two times. <laughs> but you thought it was pervasive. Because you came in with your preconceived notions and you missed out on the message that God is actually teaching, which is the kingdom of God. And this is where we've got to get a new view of God. This is why we're not making bold ex exploits for God. It's why we're not making any bold risks, because we just see God as this personal Savior, right? He's this hippie that walked around with sandals, patting little kids on the head, and making everybody feel good. And when you have those kind of eyes and you read the gospel, that's who you'll see come out. And you'll miss all the bits that tell you the real story of who Jesus actually is. The Jewish Messiah, the King that is to come and to rule the entire world. And we miss it sometimes. But how could we catch it, Tom? How could we catch it? Of course we missed it. We're middle class people, generally, born in a democracy. A republic. We overthrow the king because the king's bad. That our perfect King George III, right? Our government for the people. By the people. Of the people. For the people. By the people. But Jesus is a monarchy. Of course we don't get the kingdom of God because we don't understand what a kingdom even looks like. We put people into power by majority votes. We ch and if we don't like them, get them out of here. You know the average stay of a pastor? Three to five years. I wonder why. When do we vote for a president? <laughs> you think the spirit of this age doesn't creep into the church? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. Because we get rid of the leader that we don't like. We put in who we want. Because we need change every four years. Okay, this is not a political discussion. This is the kingdom of God. Hello. Uh-huh. So Jesus is more than somebody just telling nice stories. He's saying, this is how a king acts, and this is what my kingdom's like. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. This is what Mark would, would boil down. If you could boil down and put in a capsule form Jesus' message, this is it. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, <laughs> and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. <laughs> now, Mark isn't saying that that's all he said. Mark's just saying, if I had to boil it down, if as he went into Galilee, if I had to just put it in a synopsis and put it in a tight little package, this is the message Jesus is telling everyone. God's rule and reign has now come to the earth. And somebody new's in charge and the old's going out, and the new is coming in. Isn't that cool? He says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, he says it this way, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Listen to this, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. A new king is in town. Someone else is in charge. So this is the gospel writers summarizing Jesus' ministry. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, when, remember when he sends out these heralds? Uh, I think we've got it. Yeah, the 72. You see that key number? The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Somebody news in charge. The king's here. The demons are fleeing. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Get the perspective of Jesus here. He's saying, you saw demons running. I saw Satan falling. You're trying to cast out demons. I saw the head demon hit the ground. There's a new king in town. So Jesus picks out 12 apostles, sends out 72. That sounds like a Sanhedrin. Crank it up. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it's embarrassing when it's not and it goes off. <laughs> I've seen that happen too. So he sends out 70, and that's the Sanhedrin. When he arranges feeding the 5,000, he tells them to sit down right in groups. That's a legion. Jesus is saying, I'm setting up a kingdom. Here's my 12 rulers over each tribe. Here's my 72, the Sanhedrin. And here is my army. But instead of giving them weapons, he feeds them. Jesus says, in my kingdom, I give my soldiers bread. And if they'll eat of this bread, they'll topple demons. Y'all are just a rambunctious group. Somebody said the hogs are playing. Do you think we'll get out in time? I said, you better set your DVR. Especially now. Yeah. 
So what I want to focus on is in that phrase in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, he says a statement that says, the time is fulfilled. That these are biblical categories, that the biblical categories are promise and fulfillment. And so Jesus is saying, the time is fulfilled. In other words, everything has happened up to this point to reveal to you the fulfillment of all those promises that you've heard earlier. That this would break down on what the term, theological term called eschatology, which basically means the end, the Jewish expectation. And something happened pretty strange with the Jewish expectation. The Jewish expectation reached its pinnacle in the day of King David, Right? David, the most unlikely king, comes to power through such a, an amazing way. What an amazing life and everything that he did. But what happened after King David? Steady decline. With each king becoming almost more of a disappointment than the last. And a few bright spots here and there. But even those bright spots generally didn't even end well. So you would think the Jewish expectation would always look back into the old days and say, look, the golden age. Remember back when, when such and such was, oh yeah, man, that was the greatest days there ever were. But something else happened into the Jewish expectation. As these kings begin to become more and more corrupt, God in his judgment gives them over to foreign nations to conquer them, not because... Uh, you know, he's just mad at them, but so that they might repent in that foreign land and get back to God. And so he gives them over to these foreign nations, and Assyria conquers the northern tribes of Israel, and Babylon conquers and destroys the temple of God and everything in the tribe of Judah and the southern tribe, and, and he just wipes them out. You would think at that point their faith would go to nothing. There's a reason why we're not worshiping Zeus right now, right? There was a point where Zeus didn't work anymore. They got conquered and said, well, let's quit worshiping Zeus. This is fleeting. There's a reason why we don't worship Thor. A moment in time came where the God didn't work anymore. But in the Jewish thought, when they go to exile... Their faith for a greater expectation for a new day became greater. And in exile, the expectation that God would send another David and do the David thing again became greater through the voices of the prophets. Amazing. That they didn't throw out God when exile came, their faith grew stronger. And God's revelation grew greater for a hope for the future. So these prophets gave it a word when God was going to do the David thing again. And they called it the day of the Lord. Man. <laughs> the day of the Lord 
the day when God stepped in <laughs> and throughout the old and initiated the new. Because God's people were oppressing the poor, the widows, the orphans, and idolatry and sexual sin. They go into exile. But prophets begin to prophesy something other than judgment and begin to prophesy promises that God is not done with his people. That the voice of Ezekiel in Babylonian captivity says things like, God's going to take out your heart of stone. And he's going to put in a heart of flesh. Jeremiah begins to prophesy things. God wrote his laws on tablets of stone and you broke them. But now he's going into the heart to etch his purposes and he's going to create a new covenant where you could walk in his ways. All this from exile. How many of you feel like you're in exile right now? Not right now while I'm speaking, but you know, in your situation. Know this, that God is never finished spouting off promises and doing heart surgery in his people. That in exile, your faith doesn't have to shrink, but the promises of God can go even more bolder, louder, and become even more real and evident. That there would be a reign of righteousness and justice. That God would set everything right. And that it would be, and the people would live up to his standards finally. So after the return from exile, right, the Persians defeat the Babylonians, the years prophesied by Jeremiah, the 70 years of captivity end, and they get to go back home and build the temple. Wow. And the Persian king funds it. What? So now a new element begins to wrap into Jewish expectation. Those promises are right. They come to pass. And there's an element of salvation, which means I get to go back home. And when Jesus tells the story of what the father's like, prodigal son. The son gets to go back home. Even though he was pretty crummy and terrible. So the salvation element gets wrapped in. But do you know what they found out when they went back home? Building a temple's hard. And restoring what is lost is painstaking. And people are hard-headed and don't want to do the work. So that when they get the foundation of the temple laid, Ezra 3.12, those that had seen Solomon's temple and see the new temple start weeping. Because they're like, this isn't nothing like what Solomon's temple was. And the ones that hadn't seen Solomon's temple... I rejoice and look what we did. 
talk about a weird situation. This group's mourning and this group's high-fiving. And that's where the prophet Haggai, I believe, has to step in and prophesy and say, guess what? That temple might not look as impressive, but the glory that's going to be in it is going to be greater. So now there's a new element. It's not about the outside. It's about the inside. And Jesus begins to walk in this reality. The uncomely, normal, flesh and blood Jesus. But yet, fully God on the inside. So now, after the Persian rebuilding, it evolves to this. Well, we can't do it with human power. The Davids might come. A messianic expectation was obviously still there. But a person wasn't the key figure around most of the messianic expectation. That's why when Jesus came, they didn't really understand. It was like, yeah, they kind of understood the king dynamic, but they really didn't know how that was all going to parse out. And so when Jesus comes, they largely miss it. Because what they believed was going to happen in the Jewish mindset was God himself was going to step out of eternity into time and space and usher in a new age. A new eschaton, a new aeon. And that it would be this way one, way, one time and immediately this way another. And so this expectation began to come in. New age, coming the old age in which we're in the old age evil satanic the new age god's rule and reign and perfect righteousness and great things happening and you've got to put yourself there as a first century jew because you've got the romans governing over you you've got this king herod who's a puppet king, who's not even Jewish. He's an Edomite, who's brutal and does crazy things, mad things. And you've got to believe that this is going to somehow get better. In this first century age, 50% of children didn't make it to the age of 12. Can you think of what that must have looked like and what that did to people's hearts? Demon possession was everywhere. <laughs> People were eking out existences. Barely making ends meet. The average life expectancy, 30 years old. So when they begin to see people get healed and children get healed and demons go, wow, the king's in town. The king's in town. 
existence, that God was going to be the only hope, and the only hope was going to be God's going to have to start over and start something new. So this kind of culminated a little bit before Jesus' day. There was a group called the Maccabees. And it's kind of a twisted history. Some people really overly glorify them, and then other people, it, it, I'm sure the truth's probably somewhere in the middle. But, but the Maccabee, there was a man by the name of John, I'm, I can't remember his last name, John High, John High Canaris, I believe. And the Greeks had other fires they were putting out at this time. 167 B.C., the Greeks were the main world power with Alexander the Great and his expansion of the kingdoms and all that. So at this point in time, this man comes down and ends up running the Greeks out. And the Greeks had other fires to put out. It wasn't that their army was that impressive. But they saw this as some great, awesome deliverance. So this man wants to become the king of and the priest. And this is where you got to be careful. Because anytime a man has power and he has God on his side, talk about power corrupting and absolute power corrupting absolutely, that's what happened. So the Pharisees at this time did not want this man to be priest. You can be king, but you can't be priest. So he runs the Pharisees out of town and exalts the Sadducees. That's why the Sadducees were the ruling class when Jesus is on the scene in first century. They did all the temple stuff because of the Maccabean revolt and its success. So the Pharisees got ran out. No, you can't be a priest. You can be a king. Nope, you're out of here. Okay, Sadducees, you'll let me. Okay, you guys are going to get the exalted status. Three generations later, they're just as bad as the pagans that they ran out. So you see, all these expectations seem to be coming to pass, but then it's a disappointment. Seems to be coming to pass, and it begins to shape their message. Well, then we hit a point by this man by the name of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist comes onto the scene, repent, God's rule is coming. And he begins to prophesy in the wilderness and begins to preach and preach and preach. And then all of a sudden, this man by the name of Jesus comes up and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Wow. His whole message was judgment. And God's judgment's coming. But when he sees Jesus, he says, Whoa, that's how the sins of the world are going to be taken away message changes when he sees Jesus repent the kingdom of heaven behold the lamb of God I must decrease he must increase in other words this message that I had it's not sufficient this man's going to have the message that I was merely preparing the way so Jesus is baptized by Jesus are baptized by John, right? Can you imagine how humiliating that would be for you to have to baptize Jesus? Jesus, here. No, here. 
Y'all know you've been coached at baptism about how to. And he says, no, 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 John. Do be, John. John had to be like. Okay, because you say so. So he identifies with John's baptism and his kingdom message and begins to redefine John's kingdom message. And when the voice comes from heaven, remember what it says? Oh, yeah. This is my beloved son. God is quoting Isaiah 42.1 that everyone there would have said they wouldn't have said 42.1 because there weren't chapters and verses but they would have said oh my goodness this is the one and if you read Isaiah 42 through 53 it is a mini book of the Messiah that was to come He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So now God's son is here. The king is here. And now he brings his message of the kingdom. And he takes John's message and turns it into good news. How does he redefine John's message? He redefines it this way. God's judgment is coming, but it's coming to me. <laughs> that Jesus is showing us what a king should be. And that Jesus, as the king, doesn't demand justice from the blood of those who've shed blood and say, off with their heads. But Jesus takes off his crown and comes off his throne and puts his neck on the chopping block and says, I will pay the debt for that one who did the crime. So now, the good news is, God took the judgment of God. That's good news. That's good news, especially if you're not under the impression that you're really righteous and you don't deserve God's judgment. That's really good news. So Isaiah 42.1 culminates in Isaiah 53, especially 53.5, where it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was placed upon Him. And by His stripes... We're healed. Wow. How cool is that? Jesus is showing us what kind of king he is. And that he's a king that can be trusted. That unlike Muhammad, power, glory, and triumph are not the M.O.s of our king. His M.O.s are grace, love, mercy, gentleness, 
meekness, kindness, greater virtues. If Islam wants to come in and convert, they'll take a group of people, pull one out, kill them brutally, and then look to the others and say, okay, do you want to give your life to Muhammad? Or Allah? They say, well, of course. Jesus comes onto the scene and he dies for his enemies. He doesn't kill them. If the message in the king we have is so unique, he can't even be mentioned in the same breath. I hear this thing all the time. The three great faiths. Right? Islam, Judaism, and, and Christianity. Not even close. Jesus can't even be mentioned in the same breath with those. Those are failing... Do I got a little time? All right, Miss Linda, I'm going on your request. Nobody else said anything. Judaism is built on a lie that Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And that Jesus isn't the one. Well, that's a lie. It's not something to be honored and exalted. It's a lie. Islam is a lie. How can lies be good or great? Can a lie be good? Can it be great? We've got to quit thinking that we're in some kind of sphere with other people when it comes to our God. I'm not saying we're a superior people. I'm saying we have a far superior God. And our message is far superior than anything else that anybody's got. And we've yet to really share it. We do time to, from time to time, but do we really share it? So the good news is that the time is fulfilled. That when Christ came to the earth, he put his flag down and said, this is mine. In all creation and every grain of dirt I'm going to redeem through my death on the cross. And I'm going to make all things new. pretty cool that's pretty cool so next we'll get into the the kingdom of god is at hand and we'll begin to talk about why what christ did was so much greater than anyone else but right now we're in the time frame so you need to know there's an open heaven that the veil was torn the separation between you and god is over so everywhere you go are your feet tread? You're the king's kid and you own it. And you can start exercising your authority that it's yours. That the kingdom is in part, it's not fully realized, it won't be fully realized till Jesus comes back. But one thing we can't do is say, well, since it's not fully realized, I'm not going to try to walk in kingdom authority. Who are we to say where Jesus is going to manifest his kingdom? And on whose body is he going to manifest his healing? And on who is he going to rest it? We can't determine that. God just says, start acting like a king's kid. And begin to walk in this thing, and God will deal with the results. You can't make that happen anyway. You can't manipulate God with faith and all kinds of weird things. You just walk in this thing. 
So now what I'm hoping is from this teaching is not that our brains grow bigger or we get more wrinkles or however that's supposed to work. I don't really care about that because knowledge puffs up. What I'm hoping after the kingdom of God teaching is you realize the superiority and the graciousness of your God. And two, you begin to start walking with a new boldness and confidence to begin to reach out to others and pray for others and lay hands on others. Yeah, they might not get healed, but what if they do? Who are you to decide what's the agenda and the MO of God? Yeah, you might witness that person a hundred times and nothing happens, but if God tells you to do it again, go do it. And do it with kingdom boldness and kingdom humility and kingdom mindedness and just understand that God is on the throne and he's ruling and reigning and he's slowly, incrementally redeeming the earth and he wants you to be a part of it. You to be a part of it. So he's sitting us down as the army of the Lord, and he's given us bread. What are you going to do with your bread? What are you going to do with your bread? Let's pray. God, we just thank you, Lord, for...